Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Rick Smith, who's the president of the Canadian Climate Institute, about his August 15th, 2022 op-ed in the Toronto Star titled, Four Ways the Inflation Reduction Act Can Accelerate Canada's Clean Energy Transition. So welcome to the interview, Rick. Thanks so much. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Well, I'm really excited about this because I'm really excited about the Inflation Reduction Act. And I have a, a, a pet hypothesis yes. that I want to run past you before we get into the uh, into your op-ed. And that is, yes, this is all about, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And, you know, the I interviewed um, uh, a modeler from the Princeton University and and she, her group says 40% reduction in GHGs in the U.S. by 2030. That's terrific yeah. news. But in 2020, I read President Biden's uh, campaign literature. And there is a couple of paragraphs where he says very explicitly, the United States has fallen behind China in, clean, in the clean energy economy. Yeah. We are behind in electric vehicles. We are behind in solar manufacturing, manufacturing of solar panels and wind turbines, everything, batteries, key technology, and we have almost nothing. He, and he pledged that by 2030, the United States would overtake China to be number one in the world in, the, in that economy. I see the IRA as the fulfillment of that promise to catapult the United States back into industrial leadership uh, and especially around these technologies. Would you sure. agree or disagree? I think that's part of the story. So I think I, I fully agree with you that, that, that the IRA uh, represents a departure from the sort of typical way that policymakers and the media and the public have thought about climate change policy. Uh, so it, it, it firmly positions climate change policy as industrial policy, uh, as social policy. I mean, it's, uh, I mean we'll, we'll get into this, but it, you know, the notion that good climate policy is now, uh, uh, can now be good news for people in terms of reduced cost of living, that it can actually tangibly, measurably return dollars to individual homeowners is, is fascinating. And that's a new way really of talking about climate change. You know, the other, the other thing I would add to this, uh, this notion that we are now thinking about climate change policy differently, we're talking about climate change policy differently, is, is uh, looking at what's happening in Europe, where in the wake of the Ukraine war, climate policy has, has now become security policy. It's become defense policy. You know, this notion of Europe freeing itself 
from uh, Russian natural gas through accelerated transition to renewables. And, you know, not just in countries run by social Democrats. I mean, we're talking about conservative run UK here. We see climate, climate policy transforming into something new, security, a reduction of volatility in people's lives. And so I, I see echoes of that also in the, in the IRA. Well, let's get into the four points that you raise in your op-ed. And uh, the first one is that Canada's 2030 climate ambitions are now aligned with America's 2030 realities. And sure. I think it's an old, old saw that Canada talks a good game and doesn't always follow through. In fact, maybe ra rarely follows through on its commitments. Now, I think it's fair to say that since 2015, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have brought in a robust suite of climate policies that experts agree should get Canada to, uh, shouldn't help Canada to meet its 2030 emissions goals. But then you make the point that a lot of this stuff is still being, you know, consulted and it hasn't been implemented and mm -hmm. emissions reductions planned for the oil and gas, you know, that is still maybe two, three years away from being implemented. There's all sorts of pushback from industry. Yeah. So what's you give us your take on, on this point. Well, I think, I think it is extremely significant and, and new that all of a sudden the U S the IRA puts the U S on track to about a 40% reduction in emissions at the same time as Canada's emissions reduction plan puts us on track to about a 40% reduction in emissions by 2030. Uh, our institute has actually done uh, this calculation and uh, there are five key policies that need to be implemented uh, in the next few months, in the next, uh, in the next couple of years uh, that will comprise about two thirds of Canada's necessary reductions by 2030. So number one, a clean electricity regulation. The government's right in the middle of uh, putting that together. We're, we're, you know, the government's committed to doing something by the end of the year. Um, an oil and gas cap, we think that's necessary. I mean, it's a statement of, of the obvious that, uh, that the regulatory framework at the moment is not working in terms of reducing uh, uh, oil and gas, greenhouse gas emissions. So something new is required. Uh, number three, uh, uh, our carbon pricing needs to be tightened up. Uh, that's, uh, there are FedProv discussions ongoing at the moment in that respect. Uh, we, need to, um, uh, we need to see another, uh, another couple of things uh, in terms of key policy architecture uh, in Canada to accomplish, you know, as you say, our stated target, which we've chronically missed in the past. But uh, so the next, the next six months, the next year are gonna be key. A lot of these key new policies in Canada are going to materialize or not. They're going to be effective or not. Uh, we're hopeful that, uh, that uh, these are going to uh, come to pass. And uh, we're now in lockstep in the, uh, with, with our major trading partner in terms of uh, an overall emissions reduction ambition. And you know, how many times have we heard in the past as Canadians, oh, we can't do this because the Americans aren't on board. Well, that's not an excuse anymore for either Canadian governments or Canadian industry. Yeah, you make that, that's a really good point. Uh, we, uh, we were, made, I guess it could be argued that Canada was ahead of the United States prior to the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, but now that's been flipped on its head. We're now at-, at yeah, And I'm not sure I'd time. argue that actually. I mean, the emissions, the national emissions trajectory for the US was on the, on the downward swing. Ours was not, right? Uh, so I'm not sure we were ahead. I mean, we've never really had 
at a federal level and in many provinces. We've never had a policy architecture to enable our stated ambitions. If we're able to do that in the next six months, that'll be new and, and welcome. Sure. But I mean, that, you know, almost all of that reduction has come from substituting uh, natural gas for coal in the, in the power sector, uh, you know, so, and they did it for economic reasons and because, yeah, and for, and, and because I guess environmental groups in the U.S. sued them into, into, into retiring a lot of those old coal plants. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But what I really meant was I'm, I'm looking at your, at your op-ed here yeah, and, and you're talking about the, 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 I guess the point you've already made, which is that the outstanding concern among businesses and financial institutions in Canada, and I really saw that you see this from the oil and gas industry in particular, is, oh, well, we can't move too fast on carbon. We can't have a carbon price that's right. too high. It puts us at a competitive disadvantage. Well, now we're at a competitive disadvantage if we don't keep up to the U.S. Yeah, that's right. So, so the first point in, in, my, in my argument that we just talked about, which is that all of a sudden the policy... Uh, ambitions of Canada and, and the U.S. are aligned. So, and the second point that I make, and you, you mentioned this, is that all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the reality for capital markets and investors has completely changed. I mean, a, a friend of mine is a Canadian, works in the sustainable investing space, and he was he was saying, uh, you know, before the IRA passed, that he was hearing on a daily basis from American colleagues that as soon as this thing passed, setting out a direction setting out some certainty for investors, for capital, capital markets, that it was going to turbocharge everything uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the future economy. And that's, that's what we see happening. We now, just in the last couple of days, I mean, we see, we see uh, media articles popping up with new investments being made, uh, new initiatives being taken on the basis of this uh, new Inflation Reduction Act and the signals it sends to capital markets. Uh, and so all of a sudden, as Canadians, we got to get our act in gear. Like, like we are going to miss out on these new economic opportunities unless we accelerate what we're doing, which is completely opposite to the way that uh, the private sector has often thought about cl climate policy, uh, which is, oh, you know, we can't go too, we can't go too quick. Otherwise, we're going to be caught, uh, caught flat-footed. Well, we got to turn that around. We have to move quickly. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on opportunities. Well, I'm going to share a, a, an anecdote from a, another interview that I did not too long ago with Dr. Kwesi Amfofo, who is the N Bloomberg NEF's head of minings and yeah. mining and minerals. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and he, I know we were talking about Alberta and, and setting up a not only cr a battery critical minerals mining but also refining and processing, most of which now takes place in China. And I asked him how long it was going to take. You know, I thought thinking he'd say, you know, maybe 2030, something like that. And he said three years. You got three years because Vietnam and Indonesia and other countries have been working on this for a little while already. And they're being very, very aggressive about it. And, and I, I think that what he said about that particular industry can probably be extrapolated to the clean energy economy as a rule, maybe not three years for all of it. But basically, my line for a couple of years now has been that Canada has the 2020s to really get in gear on this and, and make the investments, have the strategy, put in place all the pieces yeah. that it has. Because if, if it waits till after 2030, then the window to act. In fact, I, I think it was one of your reports that said, uh, it might have been the big switch report that yeah. said 
supply chains are in flux today. By 2030, that will be done. They right. will have hardened, they will have solidified, and getting into them will be more difficult than it is today. Yeah, and, and I listen, I, I think that's right. And, and to, to its credit, our federal government this week has been hustling in terms of, uh, in terms of new uh, green hydrogen deals uh, struck with Germany. You know, this, uh, this uh, agreement signed yesterday with Volkswagen uh, and, uh, and, and others in terms of critical minerals for batteries. I mean, will we see new plants being opened in Canada, prodded by, you know, some intelligent federal subsidies? Uh, this is all good, and uh, I mean another another argument I make uh, in my in my Toronto Star piece is that uh, we see now clearly some specific opportunities because of the Inflation Reduction Act for Canadian industry. Uh, great news that uh, that Canadian uh, car companies and, and, and battery companies will be. Uh, uh, regarded as one with, uh, with uh, US companies for the purposes of the act. So we can start to think through uh, what new supply chains look like cross border uh, for these new clean products. And you know, I'm delighted to see some new organizations forming, trying to put together the EV supply chain, uh, the, the battery supply chain. You know, we need to start connecting these dots. Let's get to the second one. Smart climate policy is now one of the best antidotes for increased cost of living. And I, yep. again, I have an anecdote. Uh, a couple of months ago. We I love your had... anecdotes. <laughs> well, Go you're gonna, ahead. Yeah, you're going to love this one because I love it. Uh, we have about a 1200 square foot bungalow on Vancouver Island. Uh, summers are fairly warm, but you know, it's still tempered. It's not Arizona. Yeah. Nevertheless, you know, we had the heat dome last year with 40 C, which is pretty darn hot. And so we took advantage of the federal government's green home program and we and a, a provincial program and a utility program. And we installed a, a heat pump, first heat pump that in my experience. Yeah. And I have to say, so, it, you know, we're, we're recording this at the end of August. We've gone through all, you know, the entire summer with a heat pump. And not only have we enjoyed air conditioning, but we got our bill and it's almost embarrassing how little electricity we use to run air conditioning all year yeah. long. I mean, literally, yeah. I, you know, it only cost us $65 a month previously in our home for electricity because rates are quite low here in British Columbia. But, you know, it went up 10, 10 bucks a month. Yeah. And, and if that's true of, you know, elect, electrical, electricity, um, you know, electrical uh, industrial processes, if it's true, uh, it's certainly going to be true in in, in uh, transportation. We know already electric vehicles cost per kilometer. It's much more efficient, much lower. Yeah. And it seems like this is where we're going in just about everything. Well, I hope so. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I, I, we also put in a couple of heat pumps uh, earlier this year. So I, you know, I actually had a very similar experience. I mean, we, uh, we've dramatically reduced our natural gas consumption. Um, so look, I mean, widespread electrification means lower energy costs for Canadian households. It's just that simple. And, and you, you see this clearly in the Inflation Reduction Act, the, the push towards heat pumps, the push towards uh, you know, a, a real robust network of uh, EV charging stations. You know, the, all of the different signals and, and smart uh, spending that it deploys to to enable a new electric economy 
uh, you know, our U.S. colleagues have done these calculations in the last couple of weeks, and, and you know, the average U.S. household would see its costs reduced by about 4% uh, once all these things were deployed. And, and so there's, there's, that's one aspect, like I actually reduced costs through electrification, through smart climate policy. You know, and another aspect is, is, is reducing people's blood pressure, reducing the volatility of things, right? Like I live, I live right near a, a busy uh, uh, road in Toronto that's full of gas stations and people keep an eye on, you know, especially a few weeks ago when gas prices were sky high, you know, people felt like they needed to keep an eye on gas prices and fill up when, uh, you know, there was a slight dip and uh, they worry about the, the, the impact of all this in their household budgets. And, you know, electricity prices are not volatile. They are predictable. Uh, you know, as, as, and as, as you have reported on more than anyone, as, as technology costs come down in terms of wind, in terms of solar, these things are bidding into uh, our, our, our grid at, uh, at lower and lower prices. So costs are coming down over time. Uh, so, so much, I think this is a huge new thing with, uh, with the Inflation Reduction Act, this, this, this uh, acknowledgement, this argument that, that uh, smart climate policy means reduced costs for people. Uh, this is the opposite of what we are so often hear in terms of climate discussion, where all of the emphasis is on the cost of climate action. Uh, it's, clear, it's clear that um, climate action reduces costs for your average uh, Canadian, your average homeowner. And, uh, and our institute is actually going to be uh, working hard to do those calculations and get that message out. There's another angle to this. And uh, when you're considering the adoption of new technologies, we often focus on like a cost per unit, yeah. uh, whatever that, that happens to be. And what we often neglect is the higher value that comes along with it. And it's very often it's because it's more subjective and more difficult to measure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, take the case of, of the heat pumps that you and I now have. I now have air conditioning. I had a very comfortable summer. Yeah, it's magic. I have had a, yeah, exactly. Like I work on climate policy and I only got heat pumps like, you know, six months ago. So, um, well, we forgive. Maybe, maybe I'm dumb. Like I, but I, you know, these things are coming on strong now, and and the I think once, like much like electric vehicles, where once you drive one, you do not want to go back, right? Well, see, that's uh, where I was going with this because similar for heat pumps. Once you got one in the wall, and you've and you've you know you've you've got your remote and and you're super comfortable. Like there's no going back with these technologies. I was listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford. And when he, when he was talking about why people were ordering their uh, Ford F-150 Lightning pickup truck, he, he didn't talk about, you know, the cost, cost uh, versus uh, the gas F-150. He mm -hmm. said, people love the other, the values uh, the high value that it brings in other areas. Like for instance, this idea, particularly if you're in like Texas, California, places where you've had blackouts, the idea that you can maybe charge your, you know, power your house for three days or 10 days uh, out of, with your electric vehicle is an incredible value add that you just yeah. never had the option to do when you had an internal combustion engine power, but now you can. And if, and so if it's, if it's a, a better driving experience, more torque, if you're lowering your costs, if you're powering your house, if you've got all of these things, 
all of it adds up to just a better, it's better technology. We have, it's, we have a better experience. It's a higher value. Can't put it necessarily put a dollar figure on it, but I think that drives a lot of this, this technology adoption now that it's become competitive. Oh, I think so. I think we're creatures of, uh, you know, where we, we, we take in information on an anecdotal basis every day. And so the more, it's just a statement of the obvious. I mean, the more electric vehicles are on the roads, the more people see them, experience them, uh, the more the more of it they want. And and so, uh, heat pumps. But but we're just at the beginning of this thing. Like like we, we at, at our institute, we started to look at doing some work, uh, calculating heat pump adoption, tracking it over time. And and these these numbers are fragmentary at the moment. Like if you ask the question in Canada, just, just until recently, if you ask the question. You know, what's the heat pump penetration uh, in the market? Like, you'd be hard pressed to come up with that answer. Uh, so these things are going to come on strong. They have to. The Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. pushes them along. The new policy architecture that we need to get up and running as Canadians quickly will we'll, uh, achieve a similar transformation here. But, you know, we shouldn't underestimate uh, how far we need, how far there is to go here. Now, the last point, uh, we've actually talked about it a little bit, which is that uh, Canadian industry has specific new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I brought up the issue, you know, of Alberta and opportunities around critical minerals and refining and processing of those minerals into battery metals. Uh, and there's going to be, you know, we see Ontario's getting battery plants, and of course, switching over some of the auto plants to, to, um, uh, to uh, electric vehicles, and we see battery plants in in Quebec and all, all of that stuff is great but I don't think yet uh that Canadians the narrative that Canadians are having and are hearing and the conversation that we're having nationally and even regionally mm -hmm. is still caught on to this that this is not just about the energy transition it's not just about climate change and climate policies this is an this is what um, economists, you know, are talking. They're talking about the fourth industrial revolution. They're talking yeah. about, you know, the sixth long wave of innovation. That yeah. where the economy, you know, new technologies are, are so disruptive and transformative that they basically restructure the global economy and, yeah. and national economies. Yeah. That's what we're not talking about, and that's kind of what you're getting at in your op-ed. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, you know we have a hard time shaking old habits. As, as humans and as Canadians. And, uh, you know, we see that this week just in, in microcosm with, with uh, the reaction to this green hydrogen deal with, uh, with Canada and Germany, which looks to me like a good thing. But then you have a lot of Canadian industry, you know, you have a lot of Canadian companies jumping up and down and some commentators in the media flogging this dead horse of, uh, of LNG on Canada's East Coast. Like, it's just bizarre. I mean, like the Germans have said, we don't want it. We're going off of gas, period. Uh, <laughs> the, the, it's like, there's just no way of building the infrastructure. There's a mismatch in the timelines here where, where what, what the, Germ the Germans do need LNG like this year, next year, three years from now. And then after that, like it's, it's, it's the need is declining. There's no way we're gonna get anything built to meet that super short-term timeline. And, and yet we see a number of Canadian companies and, and, and commentators sort of jumping up and down, sort of 
literally flogging a dead horse. It's, it's like, guys, like, let's, let's go to where the puck is, which I think is green hydrogen in this case, as opposed to, you know, wishing for a world that doesn't exist. So uh, it's, Walter, it's, Walter Gretzky, you cannot have a, a conversation about technology sure. and the energy transition in Canada sure. without bringing up yeah. Walter Gretzky's old, oh, you go where the, don't go where yeah. the puck is being, go where the puck is going. Yeah. Anyway, to your point, like not only, not only are we not yet being quick enough uh, identifying and jumping on new opportunities, we have, we're having a hard time shedding even things that are clearly dumb ideas, non-starters. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chronically hopeful. I, th I, think, I think actually the discussion this week in the media in terms of the opportunities that are actually on the table, I thought actually it, 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 was, it was not a bad week in terms, of, in terms of Canada identifying an opportunity, doing something about it. And now we need to put the pieces in place to take advantage of that opportunity. Rick, this has been terrific. We've got to wrap up uh, our, our uh, conversation now, but uh, uh, plenty of insights here. Lots, there's lots of interesting things. This is a really watershed. The, the IRA is just a watershed moment for Canada. I hope we take advantage of it to the maximum extent. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. It's a real pleasure.